I don't think we're getting at him today. Yeah. I'm kind of kind of thinking we're not. It, so, I'm just going through his tweets from last night. Uh, now, they weren't radically late. His last one came at 12.02 a.m., but I'm just going to go through some of them, starting at around 9.30. All caps, Fletcher Cox is the baddest man named Fletcher in history. Um future Hall of Famer Zach Ertz. Nigel Bradham deserves respect on his name. Uh, at some point after one of the touchdowns, he tweeted me um, unprompted, and he usually doesn't tweet me, uh, TD, period, tequila, period. At that, It was at that point I realized he probably wasn't making the show, and then it just kind of got progressively off the rails. Zach Ertz, Hall of Fame bust is beautiful and shiny. Uh, Wait, you're, you're, Ash- missing, you're missing something very early. If an asteroid is coming to Earth, Jake Elliott would save us all. The sacrificial Nigel Bradham game. Alshon, baby, you got a damn. Yeah, it was uh, a... Spelled well. I'll give him credit. Dude, around 7 o'clock, his tweet said, I'm three tequilas and a Prosecco deep, and we're still Uh an hour from kickoff. Eagles Twitter is going to be wild tonight. It was at that point that I I DM'd him, and I'm like, are y'all right there, big fella? And, um, yeah, he... um, I, I, I tagged the name, or I, I dubbed the name for him last night, Adam Litko. So, nice. uh, you know, I'm not surprised that he's not here. He he had to, you know, party like it was... I just uh, always marvel at how different our lives are. I spent the night, my wife spent the night sleeping in our son's room because he had a little bit of a stomach thing, and I spent the night, like, half awake as the secondary monitor watching the baby monitor, and, and Adam is uh, throwing back tequilas, so... I'm glad change. that I glad I wasn't the only one who was kind of falling in and out of of sleep. I had a long day yesterday, and and for some reason, both Carolina touchdowns, like one I guess in the first half, and then the one that got them to 23 points, I must have just dozed off like right before it. And when I woke up, I was like, "Man, the score line's getting close again." And then I just went and watched the Eagles' defense continue to be maybe the most dominant force. Uh, on as an Eagles defense since the Jim Johnson years, it it that I think there there I have like a million takeaways, but that was so much fun to watch, watching those guys swarm and just Cam Newton not be able to get really much of anything consistently started. Yeah, so I think easily since the Jim Johnson years, they haven't really had a terrific defense in quite a while. Remember, this is a team that suffered through the Juan Castillo era, even though last night on the broadcast. Um, Tony Romo and Jim Nance pointed out someone uh, who was not Juan Castillo in that photo. And I, for a second, I thought Romo was was declaring that Ron Rivera was Juan Castillo, which was going to be super racist. But I think uh, I think the camera had cut away from the photo. Anyway, this was a huge win. I don't even I don't even know where to begin. I think the best way to approach this is just go through the box score and yep. go in the order of the box score. High level thoughts, though. Uh, the Eagles, the Eagles are for real. They are a really, I will go really good team. Um, that is a tough game on the road against a good team. Now I saw power rankings that had the Panthers as high as I think second or third in the league earlier this week. I didn't buy into that. It, just keep in mind, two weeks ago we were considering this in the Cardinals game potential easy games. So the Panthers' last two games went a long way into I think blowing them up. Um, more than they should have been. Cam Newton was not good early. He's been very much an enigma of late. And yesterday we got the the bad Cam 
Now, it's not to say he, he had a spirited effort. His dive into the touchdown was quite good. The Eagles' defense was all over the place. Nigel, Br- I want to, I, I will build the bust for Nigel Bradham. That guy, we'll talk about him in a minute. He is, he's absolutely incredible. The defense was great, but Cam Newton, obviously, on that last um, couple interceptions, we gave them gifts. Um, the offense continues to take what the defense gives them. I think it's really interesting, and I will just start here with the box score. Carson went 16 of 30 for 222 yards and three touchdowns. So he has a QB rating of over 100. But two, none of those stats, the three touchdowns do, but the the 16 completed passes and 222 yards are not jumping off the box score at anybody. And he, again, the Eagles are the beneficiary of big defensive plays and able to punch the ball in like they did last week against the Cardinals. So I take that as a good sign. These aren't 85-yard, 10-play drives, but they are 7-yard, 12-yard, uh, 7-play drives in some occasions, which we could talk about as well. So um, yeah, I, I don't know. O- overall, great effort. The offense is dynamic at every level. They can run the ball. They can throw it short. And finally, now they're starting to throw it long and open up the passing game with a eclectic mix of plays. The right side of the line was a little bit of a mess early, but they stabilized that. And I don't know. This wasn't a perfect game, but I thought it was a great entertaining game and a great win. And to me, it slots the Eagles. I, I will say that I, I'm not ready to put them above the Packers, Falcons, or Cowboys yet. I think they're better than the Cowboys. I think that's clear from watching both of the teams. But to me, they were the cream of the division last year. And they're going to play them twice this year and shake it out. And I have full confidence the Eagles should be better. But I can't put them above the Packers or Falcons yet. I've seen too much from Aaron Rodgers, and I think the Falcons are too deep. For me, this game was about fourth place in the in the conference in terms of pecking order. And the Eagles are solidly number four uh, arguably number three, they should be better than the Cowboys and have a real chance to be one of the top two teams, provided the Seahawks don't do their midseason wake-up call again. So, so let's re- start with Wentz. Yeah, yeah go so ahead. really High-level thoughts then, Wentz. All right, so um, let's just dive right into Wentz. Wentz, mm. uh, I want to talk about his red zone. I want to talk about his red zone stats. Um, as of right now, go on, on the season – Within the 20-yard line, inside the 20, he's 16 of 26 for a 61% completion rate, 124 yards. He's got nine touchdowns, no interceptions. So when we talk about the fact that the defense has been has been stacking the box, they've been able to create turnovers, and then last night, I think it was a, it was at least two possessions started within their own uh, started within Carolina's 20. Wentz has been pretty dynamic to say the least, and he has not made the costly errors that you would expect of a second-year quarterback. Um, inside the 10, he's even, I guess, even a little bit better. Um, he's got five touchdowns from inside the 10. So, like, to not turn the ball over in the red zone after your defense makes makes a big stand or, or gets you a solid turnover or special teams, you know, has a big return, He's playing beyond his years. Like early in the season, I remember feeling uneasy. I remember expressing on this pod that I I have been nervous about the way that he's held on to the ball for so long that he's been uh, maybe giving up on the deep ball or giving up on looking down the field a little bit too early. And rather, he's you know tried to extend plays and he's run himself into contact. Um, his elusiveness in the in the pocket and now his his overall pocket feel as you're watching early in that game when 
Halapula Wali Wali Vaitai, which I know isn't right, but I'm just going to say it. I miss Adam in this moment. Um, when he was getting blown up early in the game, and then they were trying to chip with, uh, with Blunt, and I think at one point with Barner, which was hilarious, um, it didn't feel like he had quite as good of a feel of the pocket because he's used to having Lane Johnson. But within the second or third possession, it, it felt like he had uh, kind of recalibrated his settings to realize that you know he's got a mess on the right side. Uh, but they also does... added extra linemen, and they changed something yes. with the scheme. One of the plays was a missed uh, chip by, I believe, one of the tight ends, and everyone was blaming, uh, I guess it was Vitae. Um, but it the one was by Selleck. That might have yes, been yes. Yeah, Selleck, Selleck, Selleck just totally missed, and then I think it was Barner missed the, like a, a chip block. They they almost had like a double layer of protection. I think it was against Peppers because Peppers had had the early sack, and they were trying to send extra help that way. What yeah, you're, I was going to your point about him in the, in the pocket. I, I same deal. I, I said a couple weeks ago. At times he looks like he is an R2 masher, and the minute the pressure comes, he starts running around, and he avoids it, but he's not in throw mode. He's jamming down He's jamming down on the speed burst button and can't do much until he really readies himself, and um, he's only good if he's kind of running towards the play. That's changed the last two weeks. There was one play last night. I believe it was a completion. I didn't get a chance, obviously, to rewatch the game because it was so goddamn late and it's so goddamn early. There was one where someone was coming at him hard off the right edge in the fourth quarter, uh, late in the third quarter, and he just took two shuffle steps forward and threw a dart to somebody. And that, that to me, looked like an Aaron Rodgers type play. He, most quarterbacks are sacked in that instance. There was another one where he was being pressured on a throw, and he was hit. I mean, hit flush right in the hip. Yep. Nine out of ten quarterbacks—he made the throw. The ball was out already out of his hands. But nine out of ten quarterbacks go down on that. The pass rusher went down. Wentz just took like three steps backwards and continued watching the play. He is tough to bring down when they do get to him, but he is super not just fast but his ability to quickly step out of the way of something and now he's doing a better job of stepping out of the way without losing his vision downfield and keeping himself set uh i thought he was he was terrific i wish they would get him out of the pocket a little bit more um especially in those goal line close to the goal situations that one you know, and this goes back. You know, to, twice last week they had short field position. Again yesterday, they you got the was it the fumble or the interception that led to that uh, the ball in the twelve yard line in the second quarter there. I think it was an interception. Uh, yeah. Okay. So they get the ball at the twelve. Everyone in the planet knows that Legarrette Blunt is going to touch the football. So there was the interception by Douglas, and then this is the ensuing drive: Blunt up to middle, Blunt to left guard, Blunt to right tackle. Wentz up the middle, blunt to left tackle, Wentz scrambles, which was actually a rollout, um, and then he throws the touchdown pass to Ertz. I would like to see Doug more I, – I, we're full compliments to Doug here on this game. But in those situations, I would like to see him try and get Wentz out of the pocket a little bit. He's got Aaron Rodgers-like ability, and where Rodgers is so successful is on a planned rollout. Um, that's the next step for Wentz, but otherwise, to your point, able to evade the pressure, able to hang in there. Talk about the poise of a second-year player who's just getting abused back there. You know, Cam's been around for a little while, and guys like that are are used, are, are used to winning these, you know, knockdown drag-out fights where they're getting beat around back there. Wentz, conti- Wentz never flinches in the face of this stuff, and 
um, you know, he got better as the game went on in terms of, you know, avoiding the pressure, not being flustered, seeming like he was in control. That was really impressive all around. That's what I'm saying. Like, it, it, like the, the term I use is recalibrate, and, and that really is what it feels like. Uh, to your point at one um, about them bringing in extra linemen, um, I think we actually have to give Doug some credit in play design. But the the series that you're talking about where Blunt had, was it four or five consecutive runs, and everybody in the building knew he was going to run it, um, there are two points to that. One, I'm glad that we can now rely on Doug to call that play. Because in years past, you know, we've had coaches that, that wanted to overcomplicate matters. Like, you have Blunt here for short yardage, and you have him here to make those goal line runs. So... You know, we could call it predictable play calling, but then I thought that was where it got really interesting, where they started, um, they overloaded, I think, the left side of the line with an extra lineman, made it look like they were going to rush left, then they tried to rush to the middle, or they tried to rush right. They did it again on a uh, on a QB sneak. Like they're... Doug, for all that we trashed him about early in the season, I think has been on a redemption tour of sorts to make sure the crossing broad would run a positive article about him. And I'm I'm convinced that he listens to the podcast and he especially takes what you say to heart because everything that we have criticized him for this season he I has now rectified. Uh, no, he definitely does. Doug, <laughs> uh, can I also tell you Doug that I enjoyed Doug in his in his uh, in his used Range Rover that he's driving around in. Is listening yeah, man. To the let me let me let me just tell you really quick, Doug. Uh, I really like the jacket and visor combo you wore last night. If you do listen to the podcast, I'd like to see you wear it again next game. That'll be your silent sign that that's what's going on. Wear a but, pink rabbit's ear from your ear, just so we know you're listening. Did just you see that? Uh, did you see Cam wearing the feather in his cleats before? You know, during pregame. No, I no. He's I I don't get it. Yeah, I screw I, him. I know. I, look, I love. I, I know I, Cam I, is good. He's really good. Did you realize that he? What was it third or fourth in the in the league since 2011 on rushing touchdowns? He has like 52. Yeah, I mean that's what makes that's him. A, I mean that's a lot. He's a good quarterback, but that's what makes him such a weapon. And I, you know, I know this from daily fantasy purposes. But you all, you know, you always take the guy who has the added upside of not just of scoring in multiple ways, whether it's a running back who plays special teams or a quarterback who can also run and has some touchdown equity. So yeah, um, he. I do find it excellent that his those last two interceptions were route misreads combined with bad throws and the whole route thing with the woman asking him the question i find it delicious that he he was not on the same page with his receiver on either of those routes uh i didn't get to see the post-game press conference because i went to bed but i'm hoping someone asked him about it um to, to your point about doug and blunt i wish i wish adam were here for this um but you know this is what happens when you sleep in but I, i'm just gonna say it i was wrong about blunt i was wrong about blunt Oh, we're here! We're finally here. The clouds have par- man, the work. clouds have parted. Kyle is finally admitting. Oh, this is beautiful. This See, is that's fantastic. the thing people don't get about me. I will, I will give an opinion, but I will. I'm not going to pat myself on the back here, but I, I will own up to being wrong, and I'm happily wrong in this situation. Um, let, let I will say this, and and this has something to do with Doug. That's why I'm bringing it up now. For me, if you go back and listen to what I said and what I wrote, I'm not hedging here. I did not like the Blunt signing. I was not a fan of Blunt. I was not expecting this. But my my concern with Blunt um, wasn't so much about him as the runner. It was about the way Doug Peterson was going to use him. 
because he had such success in New England last year. Yes, he got a lot of goal line touches and punched the ball in 18 times. I don't believe he has a touchdown yet this year. Uh, if he does, it's one. So, you know, that was a little bit of an aberration. But to me, Blunt, just from someone watching him a lot, to me, he's his strength, and we saw this last, we've seen this each of the last three weeks, is when he gets past the line and then he's out in space because then he becomes really hard to bring down. Yes, he's a big body. Yes, he can get you short yardage. Yes, you can keep feeding him. But we saw this in the preseason. We saw it in the first two games. When it's everyone knows he's getting the ball, we saw it in those goal line situations last night. We saw it on the first play of the game last night when the Panthers had 46 guys in the box and the Eagles were clearly starting the game with a run and it goes backwards a yard or two yards, whatever it was, or to the line. It doesn't matter. The point is when when you know he's running it, you're not doing much. And my concern was always that Doug Peterson was not going to be able to use him in the proper way. And in a weird way, I think the Sproles injury has forced them to double down on a more, I don't know if conventional running game, but use, you know, you rely on Blunt to do more rather than just be a short yardage guy. And thankfully, Doug isn't using him to try and get outside the tackles, but they are running him in situations where you might not expect a, a, a Doug Peterson slash Andy Reid coach team to run. And once he gets past the line, that's when he's really good. And he picks up these big chunk plays. He's not just a guy who constantly moves the sticks. He's a guy who occasionally breaks off, breaks off a 18, 20-yard run. And all credit in the world to Doug Peterson because he's using him correctly. And Blunt, it looks every bit more motivated than I expected him to look. He looks like he's in better shape. Everyone in the preseason who said he thought he looked slow. I know Adam said this. I don't remember where you stood. But I remember after a couple preseason games, I was like, look, he's actually, he, he looks fine athletically. But if they keep running him into the line, it's not going to work. They're not doing that. So credit to Doug. This has worked out. At the contract, you got him out. If he gets hurt tomorrow, leaves the team because he wants to go eat Burger King, doesn't matter. This has been a success. A a million-plus-dollar contract for one year. He's already performed uh, above and beyond it. Last night, 14 attempts. I think he had 14 attempts on Sunday. So they're consistently using him 67 yards. He had 74 on Sunday and no touchdowns. The line is not jumping off at anybody, but clearly his impact on the offense being able to keep teams honest and being able to occasionally pick you up a little bit of a chunk play. He's been awesome. So I was wrong, have had it, whatever. But um, yeah, and you know, they look good. Then we could talk about Kenyon Barner. Well, hold on, hold on. <laughs> so um, I, I think the the biggest thing for us to kind of be thankful for, and I'm, this is the last time I'm going to probably praise Doug on this, on this episode, is he did not fall into the Chip Kelly trap of trying to adapt the player to the scheme. He really adapted the scheme to the player. And where we watched a guy like DeMarco Murray fall on his face because he was being asked to do things that he was not meant to to do, Doug has really turned the whole thing around. He flipped the script. He, he did something that I certainly didn't expect him to do, and that was build a legitimate downhill running attack at... This line looks pretty awesome. Like, especially for Johnson being out last night, the run blocking was still... They are having their way with, with the Panthers' defensive line. And I think it was Adam said it last week, but they look like a line that is built primarily for for run blocking, more so than pass blocking. But 
man, they looked good. And Blunt, Blunt's, uh, I think, one of my favorite guys to watch run the ball. Once he gets out, like, first of all, say I, down I, space, I, say. I, well, I, I jump up every time he, he trucks a guy. And then when he gets out in open space, it's not like some, like, Chris Berman highlight reel, rumbling, bumbling, stumbling, looks no, like a fat, athletic. like, looks, looks like a fat guy just, like, kind of meandering his way in open space. Like, he <laughs> is, he is surprisingly quick, and he is, I, he's just a fun guy to watch run. Um, I think I think that's the perfect way to put it. To me, yeah. he he's the perfect. It's crazy because he was getting booed after week two or, or in the preseason, and then we were ready to run him out of town after week two, and he didn't touch the ball, and it looked like there could be some strife. But to me, he's the perfect runner for Philly. I know I'm doing a 180 here. I'm it's a Philly guy, Bo. No, I'm but completely, like no, totally I'm self aware right. of this, but I love. You're right. When he gets out, it, when he gets into space, even when he's not, and he's just pushing for that extra yard, he runs with such intensity. It is genuine smash mouth football, and that's the, the cool thing about seeing him uh, pass the line of scrimmage. And once he gets into the second level, is he's he's quick and athletic enough, yes, but it's it's the intensity that he runs at. It's like shit. This guy's going to bring hard to be hard to bring down. He is not giving himself up. He has enough speed to to put you behind him, uh, but he has enough power to make it tough to bring down. And he he's a great. I enjoy, uh, to your point, I think I maybe tweeted this last week, like it was like a sexy run at the goal line. Like just watching him, even when he doesn't succeed, you're like, fuck, man, this guy's not giving up. And I appreciate when the Eagles get those short field turnovers as much as I wish Doug didn't call four predictable run plays in a row. Another part of me is like, in my head, it's just punch it in. Just fucking run it right up their fucking face. Like, that's the feeling I get because we have a guy who can do that now. And it's been so long since we've had that guy. So I, he's, 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 yeah, he's enjoyable. It's to fitting watch. that Deuce is his coach. There, yeah, he, he makes, he's he makes, tougher he than makes, Deuce in this sense, I, I believe. Yeah. There are also times that, you know, like, I, I wasn't a, uh, a Ryan Matthews hater, but like, Ryan Matthews would run hard. The problem was whenever he would pop a guy, he would miss three games. Yeah, like he was he, capable of physical play, but he would be out. Blunt will will knock a guy's head off, and then the next play, like like right after he decapitates a guy, he just kind of bounces right back up and gets back into the huddle, which is which is pretty swell. Um, one other thing, I somebody called me to task. Um, I guess it was last week. The first thing that I said on the podcast was how I was disappointed that Alshon didn't have more plays run for him, or he wasn't targeted more. And again, this is why I'm convinced Doug Peterson listens to our podcast. You know who led the team in uh, targets last night? Of course, Alshon Jeffrey. What was led the, the total team target number? Ten. That is the most he's had all season. I think it's it's only four it's receptions least, on those ten targets. It's at, by the way. it's at least double what he's done. I think in practically every other game. Uh, well, yes, you can make fun of the fact that he only had four receptions on those plays, but let's let us not forget the pass interference that was not called. When he has a defender draped on his left arm. Hold on, and he's right, hold on. Before, run, we, before we get attack. to the receivers, before we get to the receivers, just finished uh, the rushing. T- two more things on the rushing. Where was Clement? Uh, uh, two attempts yeah. for two yards. Seriously, like the second half. Three. That is tough. Uh, two Look, attempts was, for a total of two yards with a long of three yards. Like it That's was fine when day. the previous game when they were using Barner kind of like as a surprise because a defense wouldn't have game planned for Kenyon Barner. Like that was fine. I got it. Is he really better than Clement? Because the fact that Clement was not in that game 
was like I thought of like partway through I started well, seeing on Twitter people saying is he hurt is he dead where is he no so you're without look I mean this is a team now that was without Spurholes obviously and Smallwood last night so you lost your your quick strike guys um, and you have you know Barner Barner is playing that role and I think that's why we saw some of him I put this in the Slack chat last night and I think I said it on the last pod Barner scares me. And you saw it on that punt. He almost did it last week. There was a rolling punt, and he was about to pick it up, and the sideline was shouting at him because he was surrounded by Cardinals. he He's that guy. I, feel, I don't know. I feel like he's been around for fucking ever. I, I know it hasn't been that long, but I feel like he's been in our lives for too long. He's got some really good speed, and he's got some ability, and I think that clouds your vision because you see what he did on that return last week, and you're like, okay, we can use this guy as a weapon. It and was also the see, longest the longest return of his career was last week. Sorry. Sure, but he's he, he had it's legitimate ability. It wasn't a fluke. He he has some some speed and quickness and all that stuff and he's enticing. You're like, "Okay, this guy could be he could easily fill in for uh Smallwood Smallwood/Sproles when if they're both down. The problem is you get you get him bobbling the punt. Um and then you get that just horrible where he was truck stick on the on a block. Just inexcusable. I think he came out for quite a while after that, and it was at least another quarter before he got another touch. Um, that you can't you can't be in the NFL and do that, and that's the problem with Barner. And then they were featuring him on that one drive uh, where he missed the block, and then he had a little bit of room and space, and he kept moving his feet and ran right into a linebacker, and then he was brought down behind the line a play or two later. I I, I don't like him, like and. <laughs> I hope I eat my words like I did on Blunt, and I know why they had to use him last night because you have Clement, and he's not as quick, and you needed that quick strike guy. But five attempts, seven yards for a long of six. Barner, Barner's just not good, and he's he will get exposed quickly when you have to feature him more than you do, and that happened last night on only seven attempts offensively. So uh, hopefully Smallwood, um, you know, comes back and is fine, and uh, obviously we're not getting Sproles back. Glory Clement. This first run was to the outside, didn't go anywhere. I just don't think he's that athletic, and he's a, he does better when he is the third guy, when you have Blunt as the one, the quicker Smallwood as the two, and then Clement just to shoulder some of the load off both of them. Um, that's why I think you didn't see a lot of him. But, again, um, credit to the Eagles here. I mean, you still got uh, – Wentz had six rushes, but you still got, what, 20, 21 – called rushing attempts to running backs. Um, not bad. On 30, speaking, 30 passes, 21 rushing attempts. Not bad when you're missing your two quickest running backs. Speaking of running backs really quick, because I don't want to go into it that much, but it is worth mentioning for those who somehow missed it, that Ezekiel Elliott uh, is back to being suspended, that the 5th uh, fifth Cir- fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals um, reinstated his suspension, which means that he'll miss games against the 49ers, Redskins, Chiefs, Falcons, Chargers, and, of course, your Philadelphia Eagles. Very exciting stuff. Yeah, so, I mean, like, look, that goes back to our thing earlier. Where do you slot the Eagles in the conference? Right now, I you're going to play gotta, the Cowboys. They, they've got to be the favorite to win the division at this oh, point. Absolutely. They? Abs- oh, absolutely. Yeah, they're two games ahead, and the, and the team behind them is about to lose their, arguably, their best player, and the team behind that, they beat on the road already. So they're unquestionably the favorites to win the division, and at this point, they should win the division. But... I guess just from a ranking standpoint, I want to see them play the Cowboys. This is going to be settled on the field. The Eagles have a two-game head start. They look like the better team. 
So it is what it is. But um, yeah, th- that's great news. Um, Let's talk about the, the receivers. Oh, uh, uh, you want to talk about the receivers? receivers? Yeah. No, I, I was just talking about Alshon really quickly. Like, there's not. All right, so two quick things. So yes, mentioned the Alshon target number, which I, I was a happy happy camper with. Um, Nelson's breakaway speed on that that mm-hmm. touchdown that uh, that Nance and uh, Romo were gushing over the afterburner speed. There was a moment there where I kind of felt like, do you remember when um, the Cardinals played the Steelers in the Super Bowl? Larry Fitzgerald had like a slant that he caught, and he ran like 40 yards where he just like started breaking through multiple levels of the defense, just outrunning them. I, I got like really weird uh, flashbacks. Nelson has looked good. Oh, he's quicker and, than Fitzgerald too. Yeah, like Nelson has looked really good. And I think when they signed Alshon in the offseason, they signed Torrey Smith, I think at that point, not only was I saying that I wanted Nelson off the team, but I think I said, if he's going to stay, then I really hope he learns from these veteran receivers. And it looks like he has. There were two two parts of that. It's either that Alshon and Torrey are doing a good job of mentoring him, or it's been nice to have the the spotlight t- taken away from him, that he's not being relied on to be this great outside receiver. You know, we're putting so much attention on Zach Ertz at this point. We're obviously going to watch, and the defense is going to focus on Alshon. They have to respect Torrey Smith's ability to blow the top off a of defense. He's been able to be a solid, under-the-radar kind of guy and really have a redemption tour. So, uh, you know, when we talk about predicting the media, uh, I would assume that there is going to be at least one or two articles written this week about Nelson Aguilar's redemption tour and about how he, he didn't let th- last year and he didn't let the, the, the haters get him down. Yeah, uh, well, yeah. Oh, and, and by and, the way, and, Matt Collins. Matt Collins had had two receptions. I like Mac. Yeah, he's they're using him well. I know early can in the preseason, him, Adam like, is on here declaring Matt Collins the the best receiver on the team, and I'm going to pick on him because he can't defend himself. Uh, and, you I, know, we were like, Dude, I want to give it, you a shirt. One, he he shook one tackle in the preseason, but I think the Eagles are bringing him along in the right way. They're not overusing him. They don't need to, but he he's he will be a good receiver someday. And right now they're their spot using him and it's the perfect way to do it he comes in and he makes catches typically for first downs or that gut the defense and hence i would like to propose a shirt idea to you now uh an old play on a on a german then turned return of the mac thing no mac the knife oh a little frank sinatra yes because he guts the defense so there you go kyle i'm i'm looking forward to it i'll take a royalty uh shark tank style i would like He's going to have to catch cents. more than two catches before I can. I would like 25 cents on every shirt until I recoup my initial. 25 cents? That's 25 cents problem. per shirt uh, until I recoup $100,000 and then uh, then my equity in the company drops to 5%. I wish we had a t shirt that made $100,000. <laughs> fantastic. Uh, if the Eagles hey, will ever win the Super J- Bowl, we might. Um, if JoJo keeps playing like JoJo, then uh, the Trust the Process shirt might, might approach it. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Anyway, so uh, receivers. Yeah, so again, none of these numbers, no number on the offensive side is jumping off the page. The the best you got is quarterback, sixteen completions, two hundred twenty two yards, obviously three touchdowns. Uh, The best rusher, fourteen attempts, sixty seven yards, no touchdowns. The two best receivers both had four receptions. Jeffrey had seventy one yards. Aguilar had fifty five. And Ertz, who caught two touchdown passes, those were his only two catches. Nothing here is jumping off the page, but there's so much, there's so much balance, there's so much spreading the ball around. You got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight receivers who had at least one catch. Four of those guys had only one. Um, 
As far as Jeffrey goes, there was a good post by Sean uh, Cottrell on the website yesterday, and he talked about how he was able to impact Ertz, and he, I thought this was excellent. Called out two very similar plays against the Giants last year and this year, and how last year that play was being, Ertz was basically being shadowed by the safety over the middle, bracketed, because there was one-on-one coverage on the outside, and there was no problem for defenses to lock down Jordan Matthews and Nelson Aguilar. This year, the same two plays, safeties stick over the top because you got Alshon out there, which opens up Zach Ertz over the middle, and that's why he's able to do as much damage as he has. I think that has impacted Aguilar as well because they're able to, he doesn't need to be that second outside receiver. They're able to use him in the slot. You're able to get him on a linebacker in freak situations, which is what happened last night. And he just, not only did he torch the, the linebacker who was defending him, but once he caught the ball, man, he had a, a rocket boost up the middle. Clearly, he has next, I don't want to next level, but plus plus speed and athleticism. We saw it on the long touchdown two weeks ago where he's sidestepping on the sidelines. Um, or I guess that was last week. I can't even remember. Um, his problem was catching the ball. And you put this, I think you put this in the Slack chat after the touchdown. They look confident. He looks confident. They all look like they're having fun out there. Like you, this is a team, they've done everything right this season. From the anthem protest, where you have teams like the Steelers staying in the locker room, to Jerry Jones putting out dumb statements, to, um... Dan Snyder looking like a moron, arms locked in. The Eagles nailed the anthem thing. They all just stood there, cop, flag, military. They, they hit, checked all the boxes. The celebration thing. You have Odell Beckham taking a piss on the field. You have the Eagles doing a fun baseball thing. And then last night giving it to the center to spike. And everyone's, you know, even Romo and Nance last night are like, oh, yeah, did you see the baseball thing? Like, that was one of the coolest, most positive, upbeat. When the NFL lifted the lid on celebrations, that is what they had in mind. Not guys yep. being jackasses. Not guys, you know, do, you know, shooting air guns at each other and pissing on the field. Good, fun stuff. The Eagles have been doing that. This team looks like they're having fun. And I think for, you know, this is a takey, I know. But for Aguilar, that sort of confidence, you could see it last night after he scored that touchdown. He is a different person than he was last year. And even though he had a bad drop last night, you could tell there's there's just so much positivity around him right now. You're like, all right, it's fine. You know, you got Kelvin Benjamin over here dropping balls that are right in his gut. So it happens. You're totally right, though, because the the way that we would have reacted to a Nelson drop last year and the way that he would have reacted versus this year is totally That play would have like, crushed him. He, yeah, like, for him, it would have crushed him last year. This year, you're right. Like, he's going to bounce back. And even as a fan, I'm now used to seeing Nelson make enough plays and, and be enough of a threat that I can sit back and say, like, instead of my first reaction being Negadelphian saying, oh, he's dropping passes again. We wasted a pick on him. Uh, like, I, I'm just kind of like, oh, it'll be fine. Like, he'll go back out and he'll actually make a catch next play. Like, I'm not worried. Which is weird because I never, I never would have thought six games into the season that I would have been feeling like this. Yeah, there, and... There's just no way. And well, so and... It, it really is a testament, again, to two things. To his mental fortitude... And, and even maybe veteran leadership that's been brought in. And again, we have to give Doug credit because those guys play hard for each other. And it was like, you know, you just mentioned it, but last night in the Slack chat I dropped in, like, it is very clear that these guys enjoy playing. But not just playing the game, but they enjoy playing hard for one another. And when you have that, that is when you become a very successful team. Adam always talks about, you know, like, Wentz it always, you know, he, he is 
playing for something bigger than himself. And that's the thing that like Adam likes to see. I like to see players play hard for one another when it's like egoless football and it's, uh, you know, a selfless game instead of the selfish nature that, that most teams end up having or having big stars who end up being selfish players. They're playing selflessly and they're playing hard for one another. And it's awesome to see it. It has brought back. I hate to use the word, but it's brought back the joy in, in watching them play football. Well, yeah, no, and I think that's a good point. Uh, there was one, one, I think it was in the fourth quarter. They were coming off the field for a timeout, and Blunt wasn't in on that particular play. And he is out 10 feet from the sidelines, high-fiving the players as they're coming back. And nothing had really happened. He's just out there with words of encouragement. And this is a guy who had, I don't know if character concerns is the right thing, but some demeanor concerns, given the fact that over his career he's only really seen success in New England. And clearly, even though New England was able to let him walk, there was a video of them getting their rings, and Robert Kraft was gushing over at him in that video. So he was clearly well-liked and a team guy up there. But to see that, that was unexpected this year because you have veteran guys with Super Bowl rings out there showing some leadership from guys that you, you really probably weren't expecting it for. But I think your point about fun and watching them, and they look like they're having fun, and but just a fan mentality around seeing them, um, take the Aguilar thing. If that happens last year, like last night I didn't even check Twitter when he dropped the ball. I wasn't like, oh, I got to see this. You just knew it was, hey, it's fine. It happens. The guys drop balls. That's not the problem. The problem is when you when you don't ever catch them to begin with, which was him last year. But for years, since really the end of the Super Bowl era, um, I forget what year where they finally missed the playoffs or kind of bottomed out. It was 06 or 07. And then they went back to the NFC Championship. But even then, it was there was a little bit of fool's gold that year. And then since then, it's been the, the end of the Andy Reid era, which was terrible. And other than the end of the first year with Chip Kelly, where they really started stepping on the accelerator and went on that run late in the season and made the playoffs, and there was the snowball. And for a very short period the following November, when they beat the Cowboys on Thanksgiving, there was some... That's been the only time in the last eight to nine years, maybe 10 years, that there's been real positivity with this team. Because even those few decent Andy Reid years at the end always came with the caveat that you, we, we kind of love to hate Reid by that point. And we were always waiting for the next shoe to drop, and it was always the mob mentality. And for the last 10 years, we haven't had any times where we've been like, we have a really good football team that we can be confident about. And we're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. And other than those half a season with Chip Kelly, it immediately turned sour after that. The, the ends of the next two seasons were downright miserable. And we're, we've always just been seeing the next shoe drop. And we've seen frustrating thing after frustrating thing happen. You know, Vic looks great, and then he becomes Michael Vick, and he isn't a guy who can win you a playoff game and he gets hurt. And then you have Chip Kelly looks great, and then he becomes predictable. And and all these things just kept happening to the Eagles. And then you trade McCoy and Deshaun. Like, the, the life just kept getting sucked out of us. And up until, I'd say, last night with Doug Peterson— Last year was frustrating. He made his bonehead decisions. Early in the year, we still had that mentality. I still had that mentality that, okay, the next shoe's going to drop. Doug's going to do something dumb. Someone's going to drop a ball. And we're just ready to pounce on those things. And I think these last two games, I think it all changed really with the giant, the 61-yard winning field goal. That made the season begin to feel fun for the first time in a while. But to me, after last night, we could be confident now that we have a good team and we don't need to get the pitchforks out 
every time something wrong happens. I said to someone a couple of weeks ago, the Sixers are fun right now, and it's almost more fun to be a Sixers fan. Being an Eagles fan takes work because we always want to just criticize. I think that's because we've had 10 years of, of mediocrity at best. And now seeing a team that is actually, you could say, they are very good, we don't need to go overboard every time there's a simple mistake. Now, I'm not ready to throw away everything I've said about Doug Peterson. I'm still, his clock management is good. His scheming is good. I, I still get concerned on him making logical decisions at certain points in the game. Um, I'm, you know, I, he, he might, he's a coach of the year candidate right now, but he's, I still have my concerns with him. That said, we can shrug off those things like those drops more easily now. And it's fun. It's fun again to be an Eagles fan because even if they go out and lose the next game, all right, we're five and two, and we got most of our games remaining are home games. It's a, it's such a good feeling. I have the a, uh, I have the <laughs> thing that I just want to point out really quickly. So now there's the word that Sidney Jones and uh, and Darby are you know getting themselves possibly eligible to start practicing soon, and the idea of getting back reinforcements instead of so many guys being taken away. Um, I I just want to draw a really quick parallel. It, it popped in my head last night. I doubt anybody else had the feeling. But when I saw Brandon Brooks lay the hit on Luke Kegley that knocked him out, it took me back to 2010 when Mike Richards broke Krejci's wrist on the way to that Stanley Cup run. And thinking about Darby coming back and even possibly Sidney Jones playing this year was like shades of when they got back Gagne and Carter to make that run. The idea that you're picking up dynamic playmaking uh, impact players on your way to a playoff run like that for some reason it just like triggered this like really awesome feeling in in like this long lost section of my soul where there was a time that Philly sports were enjoyable to watch and to be a part of and I don't think it can be uh, like I, I don't think there's a way to truly put into words what a difference Ronald Darby is going to make when he returns and if Sidney Jones is able to come in, and even if he doesn't play much, even if he's inactive, but towards the, the late you know part of the season, he's able, he proves something in practice, he comes in, plays special teams, gets involved in the game plan. If if he's even potentially you know available, like that would be cool. Darby is going to make all the difference in the world. And I heard I heard the sound that you're making. So I don't I'm not saying that I want Sidney Jones to start. I'm not saying I want him to be the nickel corner. I'm just saying that the the positivity that I'm feeling by seeing these guys getting healthy and potentially playing at some point soon is is exciting. It just adds to that overall feeling of positivity around this team. So Jalen Mills, Patrick Robinson, and Rasul Douglas have done a much better job than anyone possibly could have expected. Jim Schwartz has definitely schemed around those guys a little bit and given them help as much as possible, and in some cases given up the underneath route. Mills is a guy who can quickly go up there and get a tackle. Rasul Douglas looks good. Patrick Robinson at times looks terrific. Again, I, I, I think we're they're probably playing a little bit over their heads of late, and they still haven't. You know, yeah, yeah, we had Odell in there, but that Giants team was kind of a mess. This, they still haven't gone up against a, a true powerhouse offense here and you know there will be a game this season I think where they will get exposed but that said they're doing a an ad, a very adequate job the defense is so good around them 
that all they need to be is adequate for this to be a, t- a top a top five defense, and that's what they got. When you get Darby back, yeah, absolutely huge deal. Uh, he hasn't missed that long. To me, my concern with guys who come back from injuries is always their strength and conditioning, um, because you know, like you can't do certain, you can't lift, and we take for granted when a guy comes back for injury, like oh, he's he's completely healthy, he should be his normal self. You're like, yeah, but for the last six weeks, he couldn't do a squat, or for four of those six weeks, or he couldn't bench press, whatever the injury is. Darby's is a little bit unique in that it was a dislocation. So once it he didn't he hasn't had to spend all this time in a cast or anything like that. Presumably once it was set and the scar tissue went away, he was able to start you know conditioning himself and and doing things that stay in relatively top level shape. So when he comes back, he should be able to slot right in just fine and should instantly be their best corner. Uh which would be a good thing because none of these guys suck. Sidney Jones is is a different animal entirely. Your Achilles is, I you know I don't want to say we saw this with Ryan Howard because he's got a different body type and it's a different point in his career. Your Achilles as a guy whose position is built on speed and precision and agility is probably the most important part of your body, and I don't want to see him rushed back at all. Like just let him take this season. He could be he could turn out to be great. Let that thing heal. Let him get in. Let him get up to full strength. Be one fully one hundred percent. All his muscle tone, all his um, stamina. Have him ready for next season. I don't like the fact of bringing him back. Never mind the fact that you're going, you would be throwing a rookie out there late season during a playoff push. I know what you're saying. Don't rely on him. I just don't like. I just don't like the concept of it. Just let him go. Just put him on the shelf. They're they're probably not a Super Bowl contender. So let's not get fully ahead of ourselves. Just wait, because they could wind up having two terrific young corners if him and Darby are are as advertised. Um, you had another point I, in there, yeah, a so, high-level point I wanted to respond to. I forget what it was. I don't know. I say a lot of things. Um, really. So Fletcher Cox post-game um, was asked about you know like his return to the lineup and what it is that the defense does well. And his his quote that I think is is a very succinct point was that he said. Uh, they, the Eagles' defense, pride themselves on making a team one-dimensional, and and like they've been successful. Like the the Panthers' running attack could not get started, and the you could tell that their receivers were were hearing the footsteps. Um, another thing that I um I thought was funny was Bradham post game uh-huh. was asked mm-hmm. about. I don't know if you saw any of his quotes, but Bradham post game. Uh, said that early in the game, a Panther receiver was uh, was talking smack to him, and he the guy goes uh, to him, "Man, I don't know who you are, but you're a beast." And Bradham said to him, "You don't know who I am. You mustn't know football, but you'll know me today." And that's exactly you know, like it's fantastic. Uh, I'm sure he Bradham, said it in a much more ag- aggressive and hardcore way than you just said. I, it. I I I would hope so, and hopefully not as awkward because I'm I'm looking at. Uh, grammar that is not exactly whatever. Let's um, let's talk Bradham, about how let's Bradham talk about how goddamn so good dynamic. Bradham is. He's he's really good. Look, the only thing that Bradham has not done successfully in the past year is go through airport security. Other than that, like he's he's been a a model citizen and no a, shots, and no shots, my man Nigel. No yeah, shots. I know. He was he was him and Kendricks. Kendricks had ten tackles. Bradham had seven. Bradham was everywhere last night. He did this last week. There was a play that was it was a misdirection play that all the Eagles read poorly, and Bradham 
including Bradham. He was delayed on it, and he came flying across the field and brought the runner down. Forget who, forget who it was. Um, and then last night, it's like these guys cannot get the edges. Wherever Bradham is on the field, they say the, the pylons go around the world. You heard Nance use that phrase last night. Nigel Bradham goes around the world. Take wherever he lines up on the field and just draw parallel lines out to the sidelines and, and then on because stuff may happen in front of him, but no matter how wide open a guy seems or how much daylight it looks like he has, Bradham's going to cut him off at the spot. He does it every time. I don't. I can't tell you how many. I mean, seven tackles last night. I don't even think he was all of these. He, he got credit on. How many times does he come flying to push someone out of bounds or or cut them off? He is in, he is so quick. He covers so much ground, and he has such a nose for the ball. Dude was absolutely just absolutely dominant last night. It was him who came over on that cam. Should have been touchdown. That was him yep. who chased him down right. and got. I don't know how he got there. He, and he's big and he's fast. My like. By the way, that was that was the terrific. thing that like absolutely you, you've terrific gotta have, from him. We've got to talk about the fact that that Eagles defenses have not been good tackling teams for I don't a while. Know, six years for like six years. Watching them have linebackers chase guys down on the outside. And then be able to somehow get the big stop, like wrap the arm like r- just under the guy's neck and rip him down. Uh, they had multiple plays, midfield and along the sidelines, where it looked like a guaranteed first down or it looked like a guaranteed touchdown. Yes. And they stopped the momentum of the player. Like how many times have we watched an Eagles defender wrap a guy up and then end up dragging him over the line to gain? No, 100%, Last night, 100%. they were meeting. They were meeting these Panther players at the point of contact, and and they were driving them back. And it's something like again when we talk about the fact that this is probably the best defense since a Jim Johnson team, it is eerily reminiscent of of the kind of things that we used to love to watch Doc and Trotter do. And it, I I just don't really have enough words. I don't have the best words. I don't claim to have the best words, but. Man, it's been awesome. Big ocean, very big ocean. Fantastic. Um, I was Just hoping great. to get a little more Trump there from you. No, because I I don't Fantastic. I don't want to take away from from what happened. Fair. Did you see how many tackles Kendricks had? That's what I said. I just said it. He had ten. Um, yeah, and no, five he, assi- him, and five assist tackles. Him too. That's uh, insane. Him too. He is so fast, and we were hard on him last year. He's not great in coverage. Um, although I, I can't say we've really noticed that this year, which is a, which is typically a good thing. Um, his strength is always Remember, been... everybody wanted to trade him too, by the yeah, way. Sorry I'm... to interrupt again, but like wanted to trade him for a sixth-round pick. And man, is it a good thing that they hung on to him. Yeah, no, I mean, his strength has always been his speed and athleticism. And obviously, without Hicks, I guess we, we got a little bit more Kendricks than we otherwise would have. But he's a good blitzer. But what we saw last night... Uh, his speed too to chase down guys you saw it on multiple occasions it's like him and bradham just they get out to the sidelines so quickly the two of them bradham's a little bit more of a force and i think has a little bit more awareness and knows for the ball but kendrick's man when there's a play where you're like "Uh uh-oh uh-oh we got a guy in space Uh, all of a sudden here comes michael kendrick's to chase him down and then it's not just the linebackers and it's not just the line even though these corners aren't the strength on defense, their ability to come up and allow the underneath route and then 
shoot up and make the tackle. I think Malcolm Jenkins missed one in the backfield that wound up being uh, a first down or got the Panthers close to a first down pretty late in the game. One of his, one of the teammates actually looked like said something to him because he missed it. And I think they were all, you know, they're probably competing with each other to make sure they wrap these guys up. But Jalen Mills, Rasul Douglas, they do it well. Patrick Robinson, when those guys catch the ball in the the old days, I was like, uh oh, they're going to catch it and get. 15 or 15 yaks on every play because we can't bring them down our corners uh can't bradley fletcher and fucking carrie williams and these guys simply cannot bring them down now you've got guys who allow the catch and then they go up there and stick them and in some cases come very close to jumping the route like i think rasul douglas did at one point and you you know gee even just the awareness of a guy like robinson on that thumb on barner's punt fumble where he comes out of nowhere like a ninja and hops on the ball. Their reflexes are incredible. For guys who are a supposed weakness on the team, the the secondary, the cornerbacks, they do a good job in other areas of making up for it. Um, I don't know how much else we give you to say about the defense. I mean, Cox, the line is obviously terrific. They make things Him happen. coming back was, was just ginormous. What's that? Oh, absolutely. Cox coming back. It's amazing what, what a difference he makes. They showed multiple plays that like Roma was gushing over him where it looked like they sent a double team and he smashed two guys back into uh, into Cam Newton's face. At least one of them led to the, uh, I think it was the second interception that, that led to a, uh, a very deep turnover within their own red zone. So that, look, we know that he's awesome. We know that they spent a lot of money on him. And it's great to see a guy who's earning, you know, a, a huge contract making the the exact kind of impact that you would need him to. For as important as Carson is on the offensive side of the ball, Fletcher Cox is maybe as much or even more important on the defensive side. Which makes what they did against the Cardinals last week even that much more impressive that he didn't play. Um, yeah, Jim Schwartz, like, look, it's it's a thing where Schwartz and and Reich and Peterson uh, will, will put them all in their own ways. They are doing a great job right now of game planning, of designing plays, on both the offensive and defensive sides of the ball. And they are absolutely playing to the strengths of their players. And again, we've talked about this before. It's happened more on the defensive side of the ball, but it's, it always feels like the next guy up is ready to go in and ball. Mm-hmm. And, and it's something that, you know, a guy goes out, typically you're expecting the, the opposing team to attack whoever it is. And they have not been able to cue in on, on any second or third team guy. You know, Vitae was a guy that they, you know, we said earlier, you know, they were clearly going to kind of cue in on, and Peppers beat him early, and then they adjusted the offensive game plan for it. You said before, Jalen Mills, Rasul Douglas, like, those guys have managed somehow to play well over what I think any of us expected from them. And the fact that, that they continue to go out and make plays, and not even be like average cornerbacks, they, they are legitimately playing well. Yeah, they inspire. It's, I'm it's, confident it's, it's in them. It's awesome. I, you know, um, for years we have not been confident. I'm not confident in, in them for 16 games. Correct. But I'm confident in them right now the way the team is playing. I am too, but I, I don't think that's it's... That's why Darby coming back will be, you know... Darby will be a stabilizing presence and will also allow those guys, once again, to not have the spotlight on them. If they have a poor game or if they have a poor series and don't immediately bounce back, that's, that's I think, the other thing that Darby will, will obviously bring to the team that will be beneficial for them yeah yeah no no doubt and they'll be and honestly having a guy like that will free up some things i think you'll you'll free up the safeties a little bit to 
you know, not have to provide as much help over the top. And I think you'll see a little bit more safety blitzes when you have Darby out there because you have a little bit more confidence that he could stick a top wide receiver longer and you could free up Malcolm Jenkins to come from the edge. And, and then then you get a scary good D. Um, Barnett, too. Uh, not You don't notice him a lot, but he makes a he makes things happen. The end of the game, he got pressure. He got credited, I guess, for half a sack, which was his first half a sack. He had two assisted tackles. Yeah, he took that horrible penalty, which led to the Panthers' touchdown. It was a little bit of a bonehead play, but at the same time, th- that officiate, Pete Morelli's crew, awful. I, I'm not ready to say that just because the penalties were 10-1 to 1, that they were awful. Um th- the Eagles did not play a, the most disciplined game correct. of the season, admittedly. Correct. But, but, yeah, but but the multiple pass interferences on the Panthers that were called, the play where Blunt gets called on the penalty for an over-aggressive block, like, yeah, it was And a then little, on the next possession, yes. they do it times two after the whistle blew, yes. and they continue to, pl- to drive him five or six yards back in the backfield. For no call, to, yeah. The All big, right. yeah. That's the thing. You got to be consistent. If you're going to call it one, if you're going to call ticky tack penalties, fine. I, you know, we don't have to like it, but fine. But do it both ways. And missing the uh, at least one pass interference on Alshon, I believe there was another. Missing that call on Blunt, like two glaring examples. But that crew just always seems, regardless of individual calls, they never seem to have control of the game. He always looks flustered. It, it always looks like like. Yeah, I don't know what I'm saying. But, like, it, he always looks like they're, they're, they're not in control. And the best officiating crews, regardless of the calls they make, they, this goes in any sport, really, but hockey and football especially, they ma- maintain control of the game. And players have an understanding of the parameters they're playing in, and, and you never get the sense the, the officials are impacting it. And with Morelli's crew, that's never the case. And you saw this last night, and it's what happened to Derek Barnett. Should he have pulled up and wrapped up Cam there? Yeah, like giving him the hug, like, hey, sorry, uh, you know, I bumped into you, not trying to get you to fall down. Was he a little bit much? Yeah, that whistle came so late. The stadium was so loud. It was clearly Barnett, and uh, I forget who was next to him, didn't hear it until he was right in front of Cam. And to me, that's on the officials. And if if you're a little bit late on a call like that and the stadium's that loud, I think that's the sort of play where you got to say, hey, look, there was no harm, no foul here. And, and you know, sometimes for me... I'm a rule book conservative. To me, too many rules get in the way of sound logic in all sports. I think the catch rule in football is the perfect example of this. You put a you put a specific rule on everything. Where his foot is, what is happening with the ball, what happens when he goes to the ground. And when you try and check all these boxes, you can't account for every scenario. And it's how you wind up with weird situations like Sterling Shepard's not being a catch a couple of weeks ago. Des Bryant, the the famous, not a catch. And all these things that you see, and it's because you have so many rules and so many little things that you have to call, but common sense says shouldn't be penalties or should have been a touchdown or, or a catch or whatever. To me, you have to put... You have to get good officiating crews, not Morelli's, and allow them to interpret subjective circumstances like that Barnett play. Yeah, was it a bit much? Yeah. Was he taking a free shot at Cam? No, he was. He just didn't pull up enough. He didn't wrap his arms around him. He pulled his arms back, and that's a teaching thing. Like, hey, if you hear the whistle, this is what you have to do. He didn't do that. It's his fault, but have an officiating crew that can make a subjective call on that and say, all right, this is, this is going to impact the game. It's a bad—I don't know. I'm going on about this, but— 
that crew okay. like that crew just loses control of the game and that's how you lead the situations like the Barnett play which which could have cost the Eagles the game last night um, you know there was some there was a narrative that was going into the game maybe not a narrative but the Eagles had been leading the NFL in time of possession I believe it was like 34 plus minutes or was it 37 minutes 35 35 and change. oddly enough last night they actually did lose the time of possession battle against the panthers it was close though 31 20 yeah it was it was within three minutes of each other but i'm just saying you know like uh and they also had proved, good field position they also had is because they yeah that, that was where i was about to go with it is they started multiple possessions uh you know at, at the 20 or within the 20 which again i guess then speaks to their ability to run out the clock later in in the game and and have uh extended drives because they weren't starting at their own 20 every every possession like they they did a good job yeah yeah Chip kelly's team probably would have had what 16 minutes of possession last night yeah. so uh you know time of poss- possession obviously doesn't matter it never has and it never will chip oh. was totally right well i i know I, I i disagree with that um is it more plays than time yeah but you know, I, the thing with time of possession where it matters, I think plays matter earlier in the games in terms of volume and dictating the play and, and pace of the game. If you're moving the ball passing, then so be it. Uh, if your guys are going out of bounds, then so be it. If you you know if you throw an incomplete rather than run into the line, then so be it. But where it matters, and they didn't really do this that well last night. They had that three and out when they could ice the game. But they did it uh, last week or two weeks ago with the six-minute drive. That's where time matters when when you're actually the clock is 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 an equation, and the Eagles have done a nice job this year. Again, Doug Peterson is the guy who authored the Chiefs' eight minute down two scores drive that was reliant on recovering an onside kick to be effective against the Patriots in the playoffs a few years ago. So I'm not ready to declare him the the time management guru. However. Um, the things that plagued Andy Reid and certainly Chip Kelly with having to chew up clock when you have a lead have not plagued Doug Peterson. And the Eagles have, for the most part, done a really good job with it this season. Um, By God, you might add, end up having to admit you were wrong twice. Maybe not in one podcast. You admitted you were wrong about Blunt. But I think you're you're warming up to uh, Uncle Doug. Well, look. And of course, hey, we said it before. He's like... I don't know. He's like your your father in law. He's like a like a step parent or something who just wants you to be happy and and really just wants to put it all out there for you. And good on you, Doug. Well, here, good on you. Here's the thing. And his scheming. I said this last year, and it was it was a different whatever last year. I was always amazed that they would get down when they would be down in the red zone. I'd be like, how the fuck did we get here? This offense sucks. And they did. Like they didn't have skill position players really. Wentz was still a rookie. The line was a little bit of a mess at times. But I said, all right, give give Doug credit because no matter how they do it, they dink and dunk their way down the field. And next thing you know, they're in every game. Um, they scored, you know, how many games now with twenty plus points? Got to be ten. Um, he last year he did a really nice job of always finding a way to extract extract juice from the you know a, a dried out rotten orange. This year that he has weapons, wow. it's taken them a good five weeks to really find balance at all levels of the field. You know, remember, after the first few games, the first couple games, tons of screen passes. Yeah, and, you were calling it the tuna can offense. And it was. It That wasn't just me hating. That was. And then for a game, it was drop back, drop back, fire dart 10 yards, and there was no pace. And for these last few games, 
shocking what the running game will do is it opens up everything and now they're they're able to convert every type of play they use the screen pass only occasionally they are able to move the ball effectively they're not dominating on the ground but they're they have a solid consistent running game where they're able to get occasional big plays you you're able to get the timing passes those little seam routes and slant routes to Ertz over the middle and now they're hitting the overtop passes that pass to Alshon last night that we haven't seen that since the Jordan Matthews touchdown against the Browns last year in the first game. Who? Where we thought that was going to be their offense. Like, holy shit, did Carson Wentz just throw that ball? That was a hell of a toss to your number one receiver. That's the thing we were expecting out of Alshon. I still wish he would come down with some 50-50 balls, even on that pass interference. Those are the sorts of balls that pl- receivers of his ilk, you would hope they would catch. I hope he gets more of those because that... That makes him he's – he's an average receiver when he's not making the great plays because he doesn't have a ton of speed. But when he's able to go up and get balls, that's another story. He's, he was fine. But that throw to Alshon, they weren't converting that the first few weeks. Um, you know, obviously the deep pass to Aguilar a couple of uh, weeks ago, the, I think they got one to Torrey Smith. And then the, the play over the middle to Aguilar, like those quick strike guy in the slot runs right up the middle of the field. They weren't getting those. And now they're the – strikes to, The strikes to Ertz, I think, were – the most impressive oh his throat yeah i mean they have such a, a the good... second the second touchdown to Ertz was was exactly what you would hope to you would hope to see between your your qb and, and their number one target they have such a good rapport and such good chemistry and i suspect that their Ertz wasn't heavily involved in the game plan for whatever reason you know they were going to attack them in other ways only two catches says that but when you get down in the red zone and well, carson needs a, no but when carson needs a go-to guy you could you could just see the rapport because that's the guy he goes to twice in the end zone and yet doesn't really go to him the rest of the game. To me, that tells me he is supremely confident that if he needs a safety valve, he's going to Ertz, and they have a terrific but connection. Think of it, think of it like this: What's the one thing Ertz cannot do? Break a tackle. Well, no, not break a tackle. Okay. The other thing, the thing before he gets out into play, block. He can't block. Well, I wouldn't and say when he you're can't. going into a game, and he can't. And when yeah. you're going into a game where you know that you're going to be missing Lane Johnson, that's why he wouldn't have been part of the initial game plan. Like, you knew that you were going to have to run out Selleck a lot. And then you see Selleck blowing a block. To be an additional blocker. And yes, and then early in the game, he blows a block. And you're like, you had one job. This is one (laughs) thing that we put you in here to do. You you literally had one job to do, and you you bungled it. Uh, That was was Coach Nigel. Um, Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, all good stuff. Nigel Thornberry. But yeah, my point about Doug is, like, yeah, it's scheming is not the problem. I, I never thought it was the main problem, but he, he's, I'm ready to say he's now good at it. Because no matter what happens, Whoa! he always puts, really, the, the Eagles are always in it, They're even against the Chiefs. They're always there and able to put up points when they need to. They're never out of a game. He's there's a different game plan every game. They have enough. And now that they have weapons, it becomes much more dynamic than just Dinkin and Duncan. And they're able to do a lot of things and attack the attack teams in a number of ways. The only thing, and they play for him. They clearly like him. He wasn't a disciplinarian last year. It sounds like he's gotten tougher on the team this year. And that, but clearly has the guys all pulling on the same rope, which is a huge thing. You saw that last night. This, this was a team, you know, Cam, I don't know how the Panthers feel about Cam, but sometimes you feel like Cam's out there on an island. He's celebrating by himself. He's he's saying dumb things in press conferences. The Eagles are the they looked like they were having fun and playing as a team out there. The Panthers did not. There's something to be said for that, and I think the coach should get credit. 
So credit to Doug, all the guys are playing for him. The thing, it still concerns me that he he has shown multiple times now for since before he got here, since he was with the Chiefs with that drive, a concerning lack of logic and not clock management, but time and score decision-making. And occasionally he becomes predictable where you run the ball four straight times with blunt, blunt and occasionally <clears throat> he... When the, I'm just concerned that we're going to get in a situation where we're going to need a coach to not make a a horribly wrong decision on fourth down or decision to punt or kick or play call in a tight situation. And those are still the things that scare me with Doug. But I'm not, you know, I, you can't, I'm not going to pile on. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to be the thought police here and pile on about something that didn't happen yet. But that is still my hesitation with him. And it always has been that, there's going to be a time where there's going to be a press conference where we're going to be like, oh, my God, what were you doing? And it happened twice last year. It happened arguably once or twice this year on those fourth down calls. And and that's what scares me about it. But, you know, it hasn't – you can't – guys five and one, and they have the most wins, tied for the most wins in the NFL with Andy Reid. Go fucking figure. Unbelievable. Yep. I got it. Um, I think I think we hit I think we hit pretty much everything there. There were two other things I wanted to to hit on really quickly before we go. Sixers uh, wrap up their preseason schedule tonight against the Heat. Uh, I don't remember if that's going to be a televised game. I feel like it was supposed to be the last one, uh, and this one we're not supposed to originally be airing. Um, interesting. They're going to be playing in Kansas City, and Brett Brown decided that it would be fitting and, and wanted to kind of, I guess, pay homage to JoJo. They went and they did a, a practice at, what's it, I don't know what Kansas's place is called, is it Lawrence? Um, they yeah. they went to uh, Kansas's um, court, and Joel got to, I guess, meet with some of the old local media that had covered him in college. Was the Adidas um, rep there? Yeah, I don't know. But he, he apparently... Uh, Confess that you know somebody was trying to get him to quit. I guess after his first year of college, um, but I don't know. Anyway, he he is a guy who I think more than anything I love watching and listening to. Uh, Joel kind of pay tribute to the people who helped him get to where he is. Uh, he he just seems like an egoless guy again, like the Adidas um, rep who was footing the bill for Kansas basketball. All right. All right, man. I mean, I don't like Bill Self. We can leave me alone. No, no, it's fine. We could do that. No, it's okay. But I, I don't want to tarnish, you know, this nice little happy moment about Joel with the corruption of college basketball. Well, all I want to say is, so the story yesterday, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not piling on Joel. If if I'm a college athlete and have an opportunity, no, I'm just saying, you know, I don't want to. I take it. But the story yesterday, and I, I don't have. I'm, I'm going a little Bob Brook over here because I've just kind of seen headlines. But the J, according to the Kansan, poor Bob, according that's never going to die. According to the Kansan, who submitted a Freedom of Information Act request, the FBI does indeed have documents regarding KU's relationship with Adidas, uh, but can't release them due to the investigation. So we don't know much, but we know the FBI is looking into Kansas and Adidas for the same things they were looking into Louisville and Louisville Adidas for. for. And oh, by the way, and part of this deal was. Hey, shoe company pays you. You go play for shoe company sponsored school. In the case of Louisville, perhaps in the case of Kansas. And oh, then when you go to the NBA, we would really like you if you stuck around with Adidas. And I thought this the other day before this story even came out was the picture of Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons uh, practicing uh, or you know during a shoot around. And Embiid is wearing an Adidas T-shirt. That's that's his 
sponsor, but it's kind of like a low key sponsor. Like it, it, he's not out yeah, there. I didn't even know. Right, exactly. Like not a lot of people realized it. I don't know if it's because he hasn't played a ton of games. I don't think he has a signature shoe. None of that. It's just sort of like, oh yeah, I think he's with Adidas. And for a guy who is as huge, as absolutely huge as he is, it's kind of surprising to people that like, hey, Joel Embiid's not with Nike or Under Armour. I mean, he could be the face of a brand. And Adidas is probably on the on the, the scale of shoe brands towards the bottom there. Right, you know, right above Li Ning or whatever it is. You what are you know, talking about? What, in terms of and in terms of sh- sh- cool NBA shoes, Nike, Under yeah, I'm Armour. Taking Adidas. No, I'm taking Adidas over Under Armour. I don't. Th- well, okay. Well, I'll those take Steph, Steph Curry's Steph, Under Armour. Steph, dude, those Steph Curry signature shoes have been trash. Dude, they're not. People just years. like to hate on yes, them because they're. they're plain. No, they're they're no. Under Armour uh, as a. Bro- How dare you besmirch the name of a German company in Adidas with your nonsense, with your hatred? Hold on. Of the Germans, you're just you're, Under Armour and Nike terrible. are substantially cooler brands right now than Adidas is. That I, I, I like refuse. No, nope. I refuse. No, I refuse to seed on that. You go up to any kid. Under hey, Armour's a good brand. Cooler. I don't think Under Armour f- doesn't matter. Forget about the product. Yeah, for, their product for is football, great. By the sure. Way. Whatever. And for basketball, I'm done. It doesn't done matter. It's nonsense. not about the sport. It's not about any one individual product. Which brand is cooler, Under Armour or Adidas? Not even close. Okay, you're a soccer guy. Maybe you're going to say Adidas. My point is, but Under Armour's getting into that game, too. First of all, Under Armour makes great stuff. I have three pairs of Under Armour. Kyle, I need to get going, and I don't want to get into a freaking debate about these. Last thing, I have have a bit of a uniform because I work from home. I have three pairs of Under Armour shorts that I are four, maybe, that I wear interchangeably frequently. Right, but I mean, it's well, all I wear. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. From, how often does your wife wash them? Uh, frequently, from be, May through now. I'm still wearing them because it's it's been pretty warm. It's getting a little cold now. I got to switch to my Under Armour sweatpants, which of which I have Whoa. two pairs. I wear Under Armour shorts. I would say 98% of days, and th- these things hold up like crazy. So don't go besmirching Under Armour. They are a great brand. But my no, p- my, I I wear Under Armour stuff. I like Under Armour. I'm just saying that for basketball, like I still think Adidas is better. You're correct. Okay, that's just me. You're wrong. Um, my point is. Beat and Beat has this low key Adidas sponsorship, and I th- I think we're about to find out why that he's he's stuck with them and hasn't gotten a hundred million dollars from Nike yet. Um, just just uh just a thought. Stop. There. I don't blame him do though. Not, I don't blame. Do him. Not, he's a kid from Africa. Do I don't blame tie, him for taking Adidas do money. Do not if he tie took Adidas money. this incredible man uh, to this awful scandal. I don't. I will not have. Well, it. I'm just saying. I will not I'm have just saying, it, Kyle. If the if the FBI is investigating. Kansas no, for Adidas ties, not, no. and now one of their biggest players in the NBA still wearing Adidas. Like, there's a good chance that it would come out that if Kansas was involved in this, that Embiid was oh, one of the are, guys. It's fine. This. I, it, he's in the oh. NBA now. It's not a crime. It's not a crime. If that happened, it's not a crime. I don't take want the money. his money. You're a player. You should take the money. All right. So there's that. And uh, he was for terrific. those who care, tomorrow, tomorrow the Flyers are playing against the Capitals at seven o'clock. They will Wait, not. We play didn't talk about Embiid's for, outing. For three more days. No, because I need. Well, I need to go. So you can you can riff. You should on... talk about that instead of the Flyers, because that was Look, fucking he's incredible. Got... No, I was just pointing out that there's a game. Joel scored. What was it twenty points, seven rebounds? 22. I think he had two blocks. He wrecked. Ah, for God, who was it? It was two days ago. Now the he Nets. wrecked a shot that. Uh, now see. Now there are two quick takeaways. We've been watching them play against the the Celtics, and people have been upset that they haven't had better showings against the Celtics. That's fine. But the Celtics are still a a deeper team. Yes. than the Sixers are. Yeah. So I, it's not like I expected them to go out and, and beat a depleted Celtics team when they themselves were also depleted. But the the way that Joel changes the game for this team 
uh, obviously plus minus and everything, but like the way that he, the whole mentality of the team changes, the way that they play for one another, again, playing hard as a team for one another and as a collective unit, it is just, it's, it's incredible. And one of the best parts I think was Joel at the top of the three point arc, dumping the ball into their six ten point guard, Ben Simmons for a finish at the rim. They are like, look, we can, we can get ourselves worried about faults all we want, but having Ben and Joel together is going to cause so many just defensive uh, nightmares for coaches as they're game planning against how do you play against the Sixers. And with JJ, you know, knocking down deep shots, they're, they're, look, it's the only guy who I think right now should be concerned for his spot on the roster is Nick Stauskas. And outside of that, like, they, I'm fine with whoever they've they got. they got to find a way to keep like McConnell because he's, he's. Oh, McConnell's staying. McConnell for sure is staying on the team. But they got to find minutes. Is the only guy that I think. Yeah, they will. If you look, if we're honest, the the problem that McConnell runs into is he's not a good enough shooter to be the off guard with Ben. But Jared Bayless is also not knocking. You know, he's not shooting the lights out yet. He will be probably the guy who's going to play off ball with Simmons, uh, especially if Fultz is not healthy. But um, look, there there are plenty of positives to take away. I'm I'm looking forward to the game tonight. It's I think it's going to be. I don't know if it's going to you know, be shown as of now. I don't believe it's televised. That's what I was saying. Like I, I don't know for sure, but um, great job by Com. See, hold on, great see, job by Comcast to pick up the game the other night. That was cool. Um, and B, great job by Mark Zumoff. Yeah, that was cool too. Is much, but dude, like Zumoff, how many times they had to delay that game, and they're sitting in a studio, soccer style, with he and Mark Jackson and Amy Fadul. And the, the way the union that do could, that, someone said the union. Yes, it's not just the union though. Oh, really? The most of like being sports, so like Phil Sh- Shane and uh, Ray Hudson, those guys are calling games from thousands of miles away. Like they do not send those guys to, your... to go cover La Liga. Yeah, okay. like they're they're sitting in a studio and and they're calling. Yes, yeah. so the union do that for away games as well. Soccer is it's a little normal. bit easier because there's not as many down. You know, part of the problem is there's down moments. And you got to be comment what you're seeing and you're kind of directing and you saw us with zoom off. Yeah. Like they weren't sure what replay was coming. Cause they didn't probably have a producer in control. Yeah. Of the and cameras. it's also there. Yeah. Soccer is a little different it's, cause it's, it's pretty much most of the game is one camera and you could see everything you need to see. So, but yeah, no, the thing about Embiid, like, yeah, he brings energy to the team. Like, and they're a completely different unit, but my God, he is when he's out there, but my God, he's so good. Like putting the he ball is. on the floor, facing up defenders, putting his back down, hitting those little one footer baby fadeaways. Like, God, God, he's, if he stays healthy, he could be one. He can honestly God be one of the great ones. He is an absolute um, freak. You know what else is, is pretty great to see, Kyle? Uh, it's something that we haven't talked about in a while. And some of the five star reviews we've gotten on iTunes, including one by RC0507, who gave us a five star review. Five star review from A. Fleisch. Uh, a four-star review from the Mocking Jake. We'll accept it, although it should be five. Fuck that. Den fifty-five F with a five-star. Great podcast. Thanks. Uh, Johnny Yardstick five stars. Johnny Phillies five stars. Even though he wants to trash me, that's fine. Look, I love when people trash me on uh, iTunes reviews as long as it's five stars. And of course, Jason underscore Moyle with a five-star review on the twelfth, saying uh, thanks for the alternative to Sports Talk Radio. I'd like to point out the fact. That with these five-star reviews, we have now gone over 255 star reviews. We're now at 251. Uh, I know that we haven't been plugging for it in a while, but if you are listening to the podcast and at this point you have not left a five-star review on iTunes, please do so. Leave us a review. Even if you hate me or you hate Adam or you hate Kyle, 
then you can you can leave that in the text underneath but give us a five-star review then more people will also see your review and with that i have to go kyle good stuff i'm, I'm definitely i'm definitely running late this was fun yeah, it was a good one. i miss adam we will uh we'll have to catch up with him on monday we had what two weeks going of all three of us being here all week so um you know it's just the uh the law of averages yeah, kind of came out here either way good stuff uh good eagles win um we we got one of the best teams in the in the NFC here. We have a really good football team. That's what we have. Um, yep, that is uh, that is very true. All right, we will we will uh, we'll see you on Monday. Oh yeah, by the way, hey, tomorrow. I don't know how to they, sign the off. Flyers get <laughs> the Flyers game this weekend is their first home game. It's crazy. It's their first home game, Kyle. I thanks, sweet baby Jesus. It's not a ten o'clock start. I can actually watch the game. I just realized now. That- go ahead. Let's do the sign up. <laughs> I think they got bumped because of uh, Bruno Mars, uh, because of Guns N' Roses, Bruno Mars, and I believe Katy Perry was there last night. And I think, I think I saw a sign that uh, maybe last night or the night before, uh, Pitbull and Enrique Iglesias were there. So it's been Bailamos. concert every week in uh, in Philly. Bailamos y dale. So, Adios, amigo. So because of that, you had one of the b- biggest markets in the NHL opening a West Coast swing to start the season. Way to go! Way to go, hockey. Way to really embrace popularity of your sport. The Flyers will be uh, home. It wouldn't be a podcast without you trashing somebody. Oh, yeah. all, right. all right. Flyers are home. All right. Good win. We'll have, see you on have Monday. Have a great weekend, everybody.